0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asia Torah overlooking the Western Wall. So I I just spent my Hanukkah in Greece, otherwise known as Los Angeles, and it was the hardest Hanukkah ever. I think the most I felt Hanukkah was seeing Chabad menorahs at at, uh, shopping centers. You know, that, that was like, that was my deepest feelings I had, was like, hey, look, a Hanukkah menorah, you know. But then, of course, you're in the shopping center, and you're just in, you're in Greece, you know, because Greece represented the material. You know, it's the physical world. That's, that's Greece. Isn't it ironic that people eat greasy foods on the Hanukkah? <laughs> you gotta, like, put everything in Greece. So, so anyway, the, so I was in L.A., and L.A. is, like, super, I mean, it's really the essence of Greece today, because what was Greece? Greece was the, you know, the cradle of Western civilization. That was the very beginning of the, that was the baby. And, and then it became, you know, Rome, and then ancient Europe, and then modern Europe, and modern Europe ultimately expanded its way to the, the new country, and uh, took over, you know, North and South America, and, and but, but L.A. is where Hollywood is. That's where it really exports, you know, that, everything exports out of there. I've even been surfing in the jungle and found aboriginals. I'm in Southeast Asia. I have found aboriginals all gathered around the bottom of a palm tree, and I'm like, "What is going on over there?" So I went to check it out. They were all sitting in front of a big screen TV. Where they? I was surprised they had electricity there. Like, where they get a big screen TV, and they got it all cabled in. I looked up the top of the palm tree. Guess what was up there? Satellite dish on Satellite dish the top of the palm tree. And the elders are chuckling like. You know the elders are like sitting on beach chairs, chuckling at whatever funny things that they don't understand a word of English. These people. Oh, mm. <laughs> Amen. Ah, bro, California dreamer. <laughs> that amazing, strange smell. Black sage is like one of the more bizarre b'sumim anyway so so but the funny thing is those old people chuckling you might think was kind of cute but but it's not cute it's naive it's naive and and they while they their, while their kids were getting slaughtered by Western media they were chuckling and I, I would I'd be frightened to go back there and see what was what innocence was lost at the, at the behest of of the Western expansionist philosophy. Anyway, so we celebrated Hanukkah, and I suffered Hanukkah. And I, I hope if you were here in Jerusalem, which I imagine most of you were, that it was amazing. You know, that it was really a great Hanukkah victory. And uh, and anyway, I'm but I'm extremely happy to be back. Like extremely happy. And uh, even though. I'm totally jet-lagged, and none of my kids made it out except for one really put-together daughter of mine who was not home when we all woke up. Um, it's like, let's put it like this. It was 2 in the morning last night when my wife and I were woken up by people partying outside our window. And they were so funny, these people. I mean, normally you get frustrated when people are partying outside your window, but they were just so funny. They were singing, and they were dancing. I mean, one guy kept throwing up. And the, but the last night was New Year's and we live right next to the Shook, which I imagine was having New Year's parties. Anyone make it to the Shook for New Year's? Anyone was out there? Was it party? I imagine it was going off. Anyway, this group camped right outside our window. And my wife and I, any other night would have been like, just, what do you do? You open your window? You say, get the hell out of here, man. You're trying to sleep. <laughs> we just chuckled and let them go and let them do their thing for like at least an hour. We were, I mean, the more they were dancing and singing, the more we were giggling. And I think it was A result of us Knowing That They Every one of those people Would have given their lives for us And we would give our lives for them And we just flew out of a place Where you could not borrow a cell phone My wife didn't get a SIM And She'd be in shopping centers Or or We were at At one point we were at Magic Mountain And uh and my, my kids were in different parts of this giant park, were frozen cold, needed to reach me, and could not borrow a phone. Could not borrow a phone. And, and it's like, can you imagine a Jew not lending you their phone in Israel? It's like, our phones are transferable by any stranger on the street. You know, if something goes wrong with someone on the street, someone passes out. You know, I mean, been here 30 years. You see people pass out, you know, old person keels over. It's like, boom, it's like a magnet of people coming over to that person to make sure they're okay. And then one of them will go to the hospital with them, for sure. You know, they, there's nothing you can't ask for here. And from an absolute stranger, which doesn't exist here, and whether they're observant, whether they're non-observant, it they, they could be a guy in a black hat whose life's being saved by a guy in a mohawk and tattoos and body piercings and married to a man. You know, and they, and they're going to be, they're going to save each other and they're going to be there for each other. And there's no, there's no, there's nothing like what we had to experience out there, which was chilling. You know, it was just chilling to, you know, my wife finally interviewed one of the ladies who said no, by just asking her the question, you don't have to lend me your phone. In fact, no one's willing to lend me their phone. But if you could just answer why. And the lady just looked at her and she said, the answer is no. And walked away yeah that's like so we'll giggle in bed and let let the jews party outside our window and, and just giggle away while they're dancing out there and and that's fine cuz those are our those are our brothers and sisters outside there and uh, they're having a good time and we'll let them have a good time out there we're just happy our, we're happy to be home we're happy to be with our with our siblings and um, that was our introduction to our class today. Um, God had a real problem on his hands several hundred years ago, and his problem he created himself and what is that problem that if you look in the Torah, it says that we 're going to blow it big time in Israel okay exhibit a you know the temple mount you know with with uh you know, trees growing. You're, you're not, you know that there's a Torah commandment not to plant a tree on the Temple Mount. It's like a, it's like a forest up there. Yeah, that building up there was where the round Sanhedrin sat, the se- the court of seventy one. You know, <laughs> talk about church and state. You know, the, the 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 courts on the Temple Mount. You know, like like the, the the same being that is the creator of it all is the same being that makes you have a sense of right and wrong, which is what the courts involved with like of course church and state go together, obviously not the Church of Western so that should stay far away from state but but like like the, the fact is that, that the only reason you have right and wrong which is what courts are for is only because there's a God without a God, right and wrong is purely a social construct and will switch based on the civilization you come into contact with and in the building that's there now, you got eighty thousand Muslims every Friday putting their butts up to the Holy of Holies, claiming, of course, that it's one of their holy places. It's like if it's your holy place, make a U-turn, man. You're 180 degrees pointing in the wrong direction here. You know, and if you want to say it's of lesser holiness, I don't know. Do like we do with the mezuzah—pray maybe east or west. You know, like choose another direction. Other than putting your behind up to the holy of holies, and now if you didn't see all those trees, which have grown in quite a bit, but from our rooftop we used to watch, we used to watch uh, kids playing soccer on the Temple Mount. Imagine the Temple Mount becomes a soccer court. You know, kids—that's what's going on. As we speak, probably there's kids playing soccer out there. And uh, so, God had a major problem. What was his problem? Is that he promised a third temple. Our actual prophets say there's gonna be you're gonna go into exile. You know all hell's gonna break loose, you're gonna be wandering around, you're gonna be driven from place to place. Uh, but in the end, I will bring you back into the land. You will you will come home. You will we will have a messianic era with a third temple. And this has to happen before two thousand before uh year six thousand. So right now we're in Fifty-seven, eighty. that leaves us 220 years. 220 years. Now, it has to come before the 220 years. It can't be after that. We've got to have a temple period. Now, both first and second temples were longer than what we have left. They were almost twice as long as what we have left. Just freaking to think about it. You ever thought about that? The first temple, failure. Second temple, failure. Both of them were twice as long as the third temple has left. So this isn't a long era, this temple period. I mean, the third temple period is not a long time; it only lasts till six thousand. And so it's got to come. But let's go back uh, four hundred years from today. Let's go back to year sixteen hundred, and think about God's issue here. Israel is desolate. You know, there's a couple, like, Muslims uh, who live here or there, Bedouins here and there, and they, they're ba- basically wandering people. They're not, uh, they were not uh, very settled. You know, they have small, small little villages here and there. Not a lot. Very little populated. A couple thousand people. I doubt it ever reached 10,000 for the last 2,000 years. And they, uh, anyway, but they were around. And who else was around? There were some pockets of Jews. There's never been a time where there was no Jews here, but pockets of Jews. And and uh, obviously some Christians have been here during these periods, but the Muslims kind of knocked them out pretty big time uh, once once they did their conquest of this area. In fact, that gold dome out there, the gold dome is actually uh, back to exhibit A. Um, I don't know if you can see the dome. No, oh, you can't see the dome, but all look at the dome. So. That gold dome was actually left for rubble by the Romans. The Romans left it rubble as a proof that, like, the temple was destroyed by them. And they, they, the law was that it remains rubble to never build it. So what was... Now, now, we're going into 2,000 years exile. How are we supposed to know where the Holy of Holies is? You know, if everything's rubble up there. Except everyone knew the spot, you know, then. And they they marked that spot with the rubble specifically there. And what happened was, the uh, when the Muslims conquered, they weren't going to leave it rubble, they were going to show the Christian world, because everyone thought the Jews are history, so they, they showed the Christian world by building that golden monument to show that they have conquered the Temple Mount. And they put their mosque, with all their writings on, in Arabic, right over the spot, like literally put an X on the spot. No one thinking that we were going to be coming back, but we... It was very convenient for us. And now we have this little site marker for when the third temple comes. A little, little marker. But if you're wondering why I keep closing it, anyone know why I keep closing the it? Yeah, the backlight is super bright out yeah, there. So 400 years ago, God has a major problem. He's promised that we're coming back. Now let me set the picture for Europe. Europe, what do we got? We've got... Um, We've got Jews in these pockets of fiddler-on-the-roof communities. Literal fiddler-on-the-roof communities. According to historians, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but according to historians, the literacy of the... Sorry, did I say literacy? We always had 100% literacy. The scholarship of the Jewish people was between 2 and 3%. Can you imagine the Ashkenazi world of Europe at 2 to 3% scholarship? to us today that's like impossible to fathom that it was 2 to 3%. So you know what that meant ultimately? You know what 2 to 3% is? It means that each village had its scholar and each region had its mega scholar. And and you know which meant that there were scholars as individuals in the communities. But the community itself was cobblers, you know, uh, seamsters, uh, uh, glassmakers, glazer, yeah. glassmakers, and and uh, you know that's that's what there was, that's what there was, and people worked. I mean, it wasn't like the the governments of Europe were paying for us to study Torah all day. All there was 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 craftsmen in those times. That was it. It was just craftsmen, and there was a scholar in the community who, if you had a sh- question about Shabbat. Or you're wondering if your chicken's kosher, and you come over with your chicken, and you're like, "Can you check out this chicken, please, and make sure it's, co- you know, I did a good job with this thing, and you know, make sure it's kosher." So you, there was a scholar to ask. That's what the Jewish world was like. Now, how much was Israel on the radar four hundred years ago? None on the radar at all. How much was anti-Semitism four hundred years ago? Somewhat. It was intense, super intense. There was at old times where there was either an exile. You were either getting thrown out of your country or there was some kind of massacre. We, we are right after, you know, this is right after the, the Crusades where there were major purges. What's that? You said 1600? 1600. It was, uh, the counter-reformation uh, was not a good time for Jews. It was a really bad time. And the, anyway, the bottom line is, God's plan, which is 600 years, you know, till the year 6,000, God's plan. How's he going to pull off this plan? So here's how he pulled it off. Ready? First, the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution creates an entire environment of industrialists in Western, you know, Western Hemisphere. What does that mean? That means basically that Europe comes out from under the thumb of the church and becomes mechanized. And starts with the whole development of technology. Okay, That started around 300 years ago. In the Jewish world at that time, the Hasidic community developed itself. Based on the writings of the Arizal, whatever, then we had the Hasidic movement started, which was a very Kabbalistic effort, probably juxtaposed to the Industrial Revolution at that time. Because as industry develops, as technology develops, the heart shuts down. And, and so the heart's being kind of opened up by the Hasidic world to not totally shut us down. Anyway, the Industrial Revolution. On the heels of the Industrial Revolution comes the Enlightenment movement, The Hus- what's called the Haskalah. The Enlightenment movement is basically Europe comes out from under the thumb of the church, and all those shtetl Jews, all those fiddler-on-the-roof Jews, make their way out of the shtetl and become what are called Hellenized or or Westernized Jews. Can you do me a favor? Just open that window for a sec. Just get some air in here. You can close in like two minutes. Just, yeah. Thank you very much. So what happened was Jews become Westernized after the Industrial Revolution. And the, then there's the Enlightenment. Comes Westernized Jews, where Jews leave Judaism. And now you have this large amount of Jews just running from Judaism... Now, what do you think helped them run away from Judaism so easily? The answer is lack of scholarship. Lack of scholarship. I mean, think about it. As the Enlightenment's mowing through communities of Europe, they're also mowing through Jewish communities. Well, what is a Jew supposed to do who doesn't know Mishnah, doesn't know Gemara, doesn't know... Meaning, he believes in God, but he doesn't know there's a God. He believes that Torah is a divine document, but he doesn't know it. And then comes in this enlightenment movement where everything's about rationalism. And they they were just they were just bowled over by this by the Enlightenment. Otherwise, again, it's called the Haskalah in Hebrew. And if you ever notice the guys with black attitude, have you noticed any Jews wearing black hats? Anyone notice those people? So these Jews wearing all black and white and like black hats and stuff like that, and that whole movement where they tried to turn Judaism into a monochronistic experience was the result or reaction, sorry, was the reaction of the Enlightenment. Before the Enlightenment, no one wore clothing like that, except for in a formal occasion. Like That was formal clothing for a very formal occasion, and the majority of the shtetl Jews couldn't afford that even if they wanted to. Meaning, what did you wear to the wedding in your shtetl? You wore your your, your, your blue vest, you know, and your patched up pants. And you, that's what you wore to the wedding, because that's what you had. You know, and, and you, you wore that to a wedding. The people couldn't afford it. And, but what happened with the Enlightenment was that the Jewish world, not immediately, but after a while, um, developed what's today called the Haredi system. Now, another thing they created was yeshivas. For the first time in history, the Jewish people created yeshivas, thirteen year olds going to yeshiva. No thirteen year old in Jewish history went to yeshiva unless he was like some like ultimate genius. There was no yeshiva. Torah study was done in the synagogue in the maybe in the morning after Shachris, maybe between Minch and Mariv in the evening before you went home to sleep. The scholar of this, of the community, or some genius kid if you happen to win the lottery and have a genius kid, which is very good for your genes. Because a very rich person will probably marry that kid and they'll have higher medical care and whatever. More likely, you know, we breed for brains in the Jewish world. You know, as opposed to Christians. If anyone could like be if anyone was like relatively high IQ, they sent him to the church. Which perfectly wiped out that gene pool. You know. And the anyway, the the I, I'm totally jealous, but my when I, I, I want to stay real focused now on the the in, basically the enlightenment was the yeshiva community to fight it, but the vast majority of Jews just took off. They just took off, and as a result of all those Jews that took off, now what do Jews do when they're what do Jews do when they assimilate? Do they just disappear, or do they rise to the tops of the... Well, they become great they, in their profession. Yeah, they'll become great wherever they are. In fact, um, Jews make up the majority of all Nobel Prize winners in the world, which is the weirdest thing. I mean, if you extract the Jews out of Russia, and uh, of the Russian Nobel Prizes, and extract the Jews out of the American Nobel Prize, and extract the Jews out of the European Nobel Prize, you just extract the Jews and give them their own nation. You know, after all, Trump just... just, just uh, uh, announced us as a nation you know, like we're now officially a nation and uh, so if you just make us a nation we have more noble prizes than all the world I think even put together I think that even put together it's like 20% 20% of Nobel prizes are Jews <laughs> so we're not put together but we outdo every country in the world and what is that? But the, I'll tell you what it is. It's Joseph who gets thrown into pits and then keeps rising. He, right? He's thrown down to exile. He keeps going pits out of the pit to the top. In the pit, he goes to the jail. He winds up being the warden of the whole jail. In jail. Always rising to the top. He, he comes out of jail. He becomes the leader of the big, the most powerful civilization probably in the history of Egypt, run by a Jew. Okay, he's the Alan Greenspan. He's going to rise to the top. And yeah, Shows us that but yeah it is us. it is one of the excuses it's one of the excuses of anti-semitism is the Jews running the show yeah that's one of the excuses it's just an excuse because there's been plenty of times when we weren't running the show and they found every reason to come after us so so it's just one of the many excuses and and of course a totally counterintuitive because if the Jews are at the head of that industry and you're enjoying the industries you should be happy about that you know, a, a gento hates the Jews who suddenly needs, I don't know like a brain, you know, a brain surgery and has the option of three doctors and one of them happens to be a genius Jew from Harvard Medical School or whatever you know, who do you think the anti-Semite wants opening up his head you know, so so he'll take the Jew, please so, they, so it's like, you should appreciate your cell phone. As the technology came out of Israel, you should appreciate Israel. And if the Israelis are Jews, you should be appreciating Jews. But yeah, it's used as one of the excuses for hating the Jews. Now, now the, um, where are we at? So, so the Jews rise to the top of every industry. So now we got two groups of Jews. You got the shtetl Jews, the fiddler on the roof Jew, who's just trying to survive day after day. And then you've got the enlightened Jew. But then the Shtetl Jew becomes the Haredi black hat Jew, who's again very much based on survival and reacting to the Enlightenment. And then you've got the enlightened Jew, who's become the industrialist. Now God has to build this temple. So what does he do? He just simply sends down a a virus. God sends a virus from heaven and injects it into the industrial Jews the industrious uh, enlightened secular Jews what's that virus? Zionism Zionism fueled by anti-Semitism right? fueled by anti-Semitism we, got, we need a safe place for the Jews and you know after all you know like, like wherever we go we get you know anti-Semitism so so Zionism and so what happens is the Jews are all, like, rallying and rallying and rallying for the rebuilding of Israel. And these are Jews who have left Judaism. And there's no prayer. There's no circumcision. There's probably circumcision. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Hmm. Do we know if the enlightened Jews were circumcised? Because I would think How they Jew were. I don't know. They want me to find out. Excavations. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I, I, I'm pretty sure, I, pretty... I mean, I'd love to say it. I don't know what I want to say. But that they're circumcised that they were. Because you meet people who will circumcise their kids who are so far gone, but they're still having a circumcision. You know, you have to be, like, pretty out there to decide to... Not, meaning, today, I'm sure there's people who are not circumcised their kids because the ideology, politics, and all that. I'm sure, like, it's considered you know mutilation by, uh, by left-wing, uh, you know millennial atheists. Yeah. But the, but in those days it wasn't like that Anyway, sidetrack. The Jews who have left Shabbat, left Kashrut, left you know, the 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 women aren't covering their hair, the men are not involved in their Jewish daily living. And what happens is the Zionist bug hits big time and just like it just like carpets through it like carpets Europe. And which is very interesting because the Haredim who were so busy reacting to them, what do you what do you do now? Like they're now they're into something good. You know what I mean? Like like the industrious enlightened Jews, the Maskilim, they're called, have been, you know, doing everything to destroy Judaism in Europe. And now suddenly come on to an actual good idea. What's the good idea? Zionism. So for the most part, the the Haredi community, the black hat community of Europe, said, like, that's also out. That's also out. Meaning, meaning they, be, they became, like, anti-Zionist, if you can imagine a person who's a Torah scholar being anti-Zionist. Because the entire Torah is, like, all it is is, like, Zion, 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 Zion. Open up the Mishnah, Zion, Zion, Zion. Open up the Gomorrah, you get a million times more. You know, I mean, they're so intense about it that that one of our sages from 2,000 years ago made Aliyah from Babylon. He made Aliyah from, you know, ba- Babylon, the eastern countries. And when he made Aliyah, he fasted over 80 times. day fasts, you know, uh, dawn till dark. He fasted over 80 times just to forget every ounce of Torah that he had ever learned outside of Israel. So he was born and raised outside of Israel except his Torah was tainted by having studied it outside of Israel. And fasted over 80 fasts to forget every last word of Torah that he had ever learned outside of Israel. So that the Torah that he would learn in the land of Israel wouldn't be tainted by the Torah that he had learned outside of Israel. (laughs) Imagine like... So for people who were involved in the Talmud with the black hats... To not be into Zionism is not possible. Obviously, they're extremely into Zionism, but from a Torah perspective, not from a secularist like avoid anti-Semitism perspective. And it wasn't a sanctioned uh, founding in their mind, too. I mean, it's not even moshiach led. Oh right, right. It, it's not sanctioned. divinely sanctioned. This is a right. this is a Zionist movement that is human, a human led. So that was their endeavor. Opposition. And there had been other human-led endeavors over the 2,000 years. There had been a couple attempts by humans, all that fa- which each failed and left the Jew- Jewish bill. For example, the, the uh, false messiah Shabtai Tzvi had managed to rally millions of Jews back to Israel in the 1500s, I think that was. A little later. A little later 1600s? Yeah. He had rallied uh, millions of Jews. And once, once that failed, they just left their Judaism. You know, so the, so that so the black hat community had something to rely on on like human, human. Uh, but that wasn't so human because he's claiming to be Messiah. So that was more religious, you could say. But. Long story short, is the Jews build the state of Israel? They started in the nineteen twenties coming here, and they they were, you know. Under the British rule, and they were sneaking more and more Jews in under the noses of the British, and Tel Aviv was all built up in the twenties by these people, and, and they uh, and they developed more and more, more and more Jews coming here, and until finally in forty eight, they established the state of Israel. The, after the war, after the Holocaust, the the black hat community splits up. Those came, there were those who came to Israel. Uh, many went to England, Belgium, uh, Canada, mostly they went to the U.S., to Brooklyn, and, uh, and they formed what are the Haredi enclaves till this day and spreading all over the world. So there's now there's out-of-town black hat communities, Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, various other out-of-town cities. They've spread into Muncie, into uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, other areas of New Jersey. um, So they've spread, but those were basically the focal points after the war with, obviously, um, the groups that came to Israel itself. Um, So now we're back. So now we're back, and what happens? We have the the miracles of the War of Independence, the miracles of the Yom Kippur War, the miracles of the Six-Day War, where we double the size of Israel. We get back our east-west biblical borders. We get back the Temple Mount. I'm not pulling this back again. We get back to Temple Mount. We get our territory all the the way to the Jordan. We didn't get the Northern Territory. We got the whole Southern Territory. And, uh, one sec. And to the point where you're listening to this class overlooking the Temple Mount. So you see, God's problem 400 years ago was solved for the most part. With the exception of the, of the temple itself, now you might think that's a big detail, but it's a, it's literally all it's a, it's a matter of a construction site set up, or maybe demolition, and then construction. But but you understand we're we're basically missing one detail. That's it. That's all that's missing, and all of this happened despite ourselves. Like none of us tried to do this. You could say the Zionist movement tried to do this, but God's the one who created the industrialists who could build the state overnight. I and mean, they literally built this place overnight. The state of Israel was just like, boom, it just came up out of nowhere. And believe me, it wasn't built by the fiddler-on-the-roof guys. Okay, Tevia didn't build this state. It was built by secularists who were top people in the industrial fields. Now, I don't, I'm not going to be so ethnocentric to say that the Industrial Revolution was just for the Jews to build the state of Israel. But that was the purpose it served in God's great plan of getting us back to this position that we're in now. And now we're in this amazing position. And you see how freaked out the Arabs are. When I moved to Israel 30 years ago, the Arabs were not freaked out at all. They're not freaked out at all. There was no issues whatsoever. There was just like, okay, the Jews are here. We don't like them, but okay, you know that's it. You could walk around the Arab quarter. You can go down the Silwan Valley. You could. Go anywhere you wanted. No one really seemed to care about anything. When I grew up in Hebrew school, did you know that they never taught us about the Temple Mount? Temple Mount was a non discussion. Uh, None of us can fathom such an era, but it's not that long ago that every Jew in Hebrew school growing up, I mean, there's a few people closer to my age in here. Did you grow up in uh, Hebrew schools or anything? Anyone here raised more like me? What? Did, you, did they Temple Mount mentions? Temple Mount mention? Temple Mount mention? maybe you were a little more observant schools there. Um, we're done in. We're done in two minutes, everybody. So, so the it was it was not in the it was not in the picture. No Temple Mount awareness whatsoever in the Jewish secular world. The observant community, big time. The secular community, not not a non-subject. And what happens? The Jewish people, obviously outside the wall. Anyone did the tunnel tours? Tunnel tours? Did it did it cross the Temple Mount, or were you behind the, a giant wall the whole time? Which one? Behind a giant wall. That's the whole point. It's the tunnel tours of the Western Wall, of the Temple Mount, where you're outside the wall that is, like, thicker than this roof. It's a giant wall. You never get anywhere near the Temple Mount. But you are just traversing a wall that they dug the tunnels up the whole way. The Jewish people dig out the tunnels all the way up the old city and the Arabs go bananas. And the whole world's just like, what in the world is going on there? Like, they didn't know how to... News station didn't know how to report it. They could, No one could figure out what the problem was. So, like, news reports were like, Jews digging under the Temple Mount, because that's what the Arabs told them. Jews digging under the Temple Mount, trying to reestablish their roots here, or whatever. It was like they were just getting their news from the Muslims themselves, and and the um, and all of a sudden, like Hebrew schools have to talk about the Temple Mount. Suddenly, Temple Mount becomes a subject. It has to like rise up. Who brought the Temple Mount to the awareness of the ninety percent secular jury, jury, world jury, ninety percent secular world jury? Where Where Israel's not on the radar, forget Jerusalem, forget Temple Mount, none of that's on the radar for 90% of secular Jewry. And all of a sudden it's like, it's front and central on everyone's television, and never left, never left. Here we are, here we are some, uh, I don't know how many years later, 28 years later. I I remember I was on the roof of the building next door I was on the roof of the building next door, watching the top of the Al-Aqsa Mosque over there, watching the top of it. And it had, it had Arabs in masks with swinging slingshots, running to the edge of the building, and then shooting their rock over to the, to the, um, to the cops at the, in the plaza down there, and then sliding backwards as fast as they could. And the second they shot the rock, you'd hear like 50 gunshots from the Temple map just go like, <laughs> to shoot the guy. Rubber bullets, but just to knock him out. And uh, and we, we got to watch this from the roof over here. Because they didn't have guns, so they let us, they let all the Aisha tour guys stand on the roof and watch the action. I mean, there was this, I, I'll never forget this day. It was just the most intense day ever. And when was this? The first the, the, day of the, the It was the first in over the tunnels. Yeah, it was... It was such a joke. Like, we're, all we're doing is digging an excavation tunnel that we're going to bring tour groups through to see one of, the, one of the wonders of all of creation. It should be on the top ten list. I don't know if it hit the top ten list, but it is like one of the, It is definitely in the top ten of this Earth's wonders. National Geographic should have been leading it, much less today. Uh, last month, National Geographic put out a full-on anti-Semitic, anti-Israel Like this thing must have been sponsored by BDS Uh, check out National Geographic last month's. is it weekly or monthly? monthly? last month, check it out even the cover shows a Muslim Jerusalem a Muslim Jerusalem in a dome shape with the golden dome and minarets all around it and then underneath it is this like skeletor like skull of tunnels if you look carefully but it looks like a skeleton from a few feet away And it looks like a skull. And then an entire article where every paragraph is packed with Jews trying to uproot Muslim rights of the land via excavation, which is like, that's like basic science, you know, like today, like that's that's just geography, like figure out what's underneath the earth. You know, no one's trying to, Jews don't need excavation to prove our roots here. (laughs) That's like not what we need. And National Geographic had the audacity to do a full, BDS-style article, where every paragraph is filled with with, with horrible slant against Israel, um, based on, you know, they made it look like the underground of Israel. You know, except, you read the paragraph, every paragraph's filled with hatred of, of Israel and the Jews. It's unbelievable. That's National Geographic. You know. Cancel your subscription, if you got one. Which is normal, until then, I thought was a reputable Magazine. I had no idea they could also fall into the narrative of anti-Semitism. Anyway, the, um, but the bottom line is just for this class, because I'd like to end, it's now already 406, so we we got we to end this. The bottom line for us is, is that this has been God's plan that we're in. But here's the only question, I'm going to leave you with this question, because I just got back from the U.S. where every single day I was there, there was another terrorist attack against the Jews. Most of which were in New York, but but very interestingly, most of which were against the community that is the most visible Torah keeping Jews. Is that is that are we allowed I'm gonna leave it as a question, are we allowed to ignore everything I just said in God's plan? I mean this is clearly God's plan, right? It's called history for a reason, capital H, his story. This is his story. God had a problem. He has to create a messianic era here. It requires geography. requires the temple. Can you ignore all the miracles? Can you ignore everything that happened that got us to this place? And if you ignore it, do you pay for it? If you ignore it, what are the ramifications of ignoring it? You want to ignore the Independence 48? Okay. You want to ignore the miracles of Yom Kippur where the whole entire country shut down, that we were able to mobilize our army in the world's fastest mobilization in history because everyone was in synagogue. Jews easily found in synagogue to get to the front lines. You want to ignore that one, fine. But ignoring the Six-Day War, which happened on the sixth day of the sixth week of the counting of the Svirahs, which is called Yisod Shab Yisod, where we get back to Temple Mount, which is called the Yisod, the Evan the Foundation, of all of the reality as we know it. Like to get back our biblical territory. You want to ignore that day too. The day that founded the Balchuva movement. This call back to Torah. I mean who doesn't have Balichuva everywhere in their lives today? That all came from that very day. If, like, if you want to ignore all of this. And still call yourself a God fearing Torah Jew. How long do you think you can ignore it? How long can you ignore it? So I'm leaving it all as a question. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I've told groups this for years and years and years. I've told this in public for years and years and years. That, that, you, that we, we have to be listening and we have to be watching. And we have to be moving according to the movements of history. And watching God's hand. We can't hold on to ideologies that are old lines we drew in the sand ideologies that we created to protect our the Torah community. We can't just play that game anymore. There's a messianic era that has to happen. There's 220 years left for the temple period to even happen. It all has to happen before 6,000. And then there has to be an era. That's not a very long era. So we, everyone knows, every single Jew no Jew in the world would deny that anti-Semitism comes as a wake-up call to the Jewish people to wake us up to get real. So may we all be blessed to wake up and be real and answer those questions for ourselves. And may we see the Mashiach and the rebuilding of Basil soon in our days. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.